Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Tag One Team Talks. I'm your host, Preston So, Editor-in-Chief here at Tag One Consulting and the author of Decoupled Drupal in Practice. Today, we're going to be talking about YJS offline apps with IndexedDB. During this webinar and podcast series about emerging web technologies, of course, one of the things that we always like to mention on the show at the very beginning is you can check out our past talks at tagone.com slash tagteamtalks. And if you like this uh, webinar session today, please, please remember to upvote, subscribe, and share it with your family and friends. Today we've got an amazing cast of characters on our webinar. First of all, I'd like to introduce our special guest, Kevin Jans, the creator of YJS. He's based out of Berlin, Germany currently. He's the founder and project lead of YJS and the real-time collaboration systems lead at Tag1. We've also got with us our dear friend, Fabian Franz, senior technical architect and performance lead at Tag1. Fabian is, of course, one of the five Drupal 7 core branch maintainers. He's also one of the top 50 contributors to Drupal 8 and maintainer for several Drupal 8 core subsystems, including BigPipe, Dynamic Page Cache, and Theme API. And finally, we're joined by our good friend, Michael Myers, managing director at Tag1. Uh, Michael, do you want to kick us off with a little bit of a, a description about Tag1 and why we're all interested in this topic? Awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, really appreciate you being with, uh, here with us today. Uh, so Tag1 is a web development consulting company specializes in infrastructure, software development. Uh, we've been doing a lot of projects that involve uh, real-time collaboration, and we're excited to be doing more work with Kevin on these projects. I think we're going to see real-time collaboration become a key part of web applications or all applications for that matter moving forward, enabling people in a workforce to work together in real time is how business gets done. Uh, so for example, with content management systems like Drupal and WordPress, which we do a lot of work with, uh, enabling content editors to edit rich text, you know, to create documents together in real time, to work on layouts uh, and page setups in real time together. You know, this should be a component of every modern CMS system. And so that's the stuff we're going to be talking about today is how we're making that happen. I absolutely agree. I think that being able to edit offline is a huge feature that a lot of CMSs need. And, and here to join us today to talk about this, uh, a very important topic, is Kevin Jans. Hey, Kevin. Uh, so it's such a pleasure to see you again on the program. Um, can you tell us right away, what is an offline app and why is this so important? Right. Thanks for that. Hi. Um, yeah, so ever since the web was created, we have misused the web to create web applications, right? We use web applications because they are always available on all the devices and they sync to the cloud, which is really comfortable. Um, but a huge disadvantage of the web was always that it is not available offline. So when you are in a train on a, on a plane, you just have a bad connection at a bad place. You can't access your favorite website or your favorite documents. Just imagine like you are offline and you really need to uh, see what's in this uh, Google Docs document. You can't really see it because it's not available offline. So that's the huge advantage of offline apps. And there are some apps now emerging uh, from the web that are also work offline. And there's a technology service workers that makes this um, possible. And um, these apps get more and more complicated. So there are, for example, some block, uh, block websites that fetch the data in the background and just store them for you to see when you don't have internet connection. So you can read your article 
uh, you can read the next article even without an internet connection, which is really comfortable. And there are also more complicated apps like Twitter that work offline, fetch data in the background, and you can tweet away. And these, um, these tweets that you create while offline, they're just later synced as soon as you have an internet connection again. So for me, this is really interesting time right now. So one of the things I think a lot of um, Tag One Team Talks viewers have seen is that, you know, there are a lot of, there's a proliferation of online applications on the web really emerging, but we're also hearing, you know, this new marketing technique. I hear a lot of people, not only in my spheres, but, you know, I've done this myself as well, talk about uh, a lot of the frameworks that are out there or apps that are out there as, as offline first. But what does offline first really mean? Is that different from offline enabled? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think you can categorize them as following like offline enabled or like offline as a progressive enhancement just means that uh, some parts of the application still work while offline. And a good example for this is um, a, a lot of websites that just show a different website when you're offline, for example, and sorry, we are offline right now. We can't really do anything for you but um, some of them show limited functionality and uh, some handle the case of offline really graciously. So for example, Twitter on the website, when you open the Twitter website and you lose internet connection and you um, post a tweet, this tweet will be stored uh, in a local database when you don't have the internet connection. And later when you are online, it is sent to the server. But the whole Twitter app, of course, with all these tweets is not available offline. Um, but some of the tweets are fetched and you can even see a lot of the tweets while offline. You don't need an internet connection for that. So there's limited functionality. Offline first in comparison is your whole application works offline as well as it does online. Um, that's how I would categorize it. A good example for that is maybe Google Docs with a native plugin. Uh, on Chrome OS, for example, you can use Google Docs while offline completely. There's not a problem. It's really cool. Even the changes that you do are later synced um, to their platform. Uh, blocks are often, they're so simple because it's just a website that you show. Um, so there's basically a background job that um, checks if you have internet connection, it will serve the latest content to you. And if you don't have internet connection, it will save the content that is stored in the local database to you or even, yeah. So um, yeah, this is how I would categorize it. And here's a fun thing. There are also offline only applications. Um, just search for it. Uh, there are applications that only work while offline um, to keep you from all the distractions of the internet. Well, I, for one, can certainly use an offline-only application when I uh, have trouble focusing. Um, okay, so I think that this really helps us, you know, this, this spectrum between offline-enabled, offline-first, and offline-only. Um, very, very interesting. I think that this emergence of all of this spectrum is going to be uh, uh, really important to the next few years. Um, but let's talk a little bit about how this actually works from the technical standpoint. When we say offline, and we're talking about a web application, how does offline actually work on the web? And let's talk a little bit about some of the technologies involved there. Right. So the technology that makes this 
um, possible is um, of service workers and IndexedDB. Um, IndexedDB is a local database in the browser that you can use to store anything, for example, websites, the content of a website. And a service worker is a really interesting technology. It basically sits in the background of your website and um, can intercept all the requests, all the network requests that you do from the website. So this is a browser technology. Uh, it has started one process for each website and um, it can intercept all the network requests and it can do anything with it. So for example, you can check if you have internet access and then grab the latest state of your website, just fetch all the content with all the dependencies, the CSS stored in the database and then serve the content that you have um, to the website. So your website will still work um, if it doesn't support service workers. Um, but if service workers are supported, um, it will intercept the requests and um, serve you different content or even the same content, but also offline. Another advantage is if you configure this service worker uh, correctly, you can make your web app much faster. Um, there's, for example, this first um, cache first technology. Like the idea here is instead of always using the network requests, you always serve what you have in a local database first and you update your local database. And this is, for example, something I use on yjs.dev. Um, it's a cache first website. So in the background, it always fetches the latest state. But as soon as uh, the website really loads very fast because um, it will serve the content that it has on offline in a database. So that's basically it. Um, this is the technology that we, um, that we have, but of course there are so many problems that we need to figure out. Um, for example, the UI patterns and how that works, the syncing of the background data. Um, yeah. Yeah, I quickly want to go, go uh, into that topic again. It's kind of a technique in, um, in caching. Uh, it's, um, we validate via stale. <laughs> That's how it's called uh, in its technical term. That means um, whenever someone comes to you and wants data, you send them whatever you have. And then you check this, um, for example, within a CDN, like Fastly, like Varnish, like um, Cloudflare. And then while um, you're doing this, um, and the user is already happily browsing the website with all the things, etc. You check, hey, uh, server, might there be a new version of this? And then the server says, hey, yes, there is. And then you store it in the cache. And the next time a user comes, you get, they get automatically the fresh version in that. So of course, um, usually there's, um, um, from a caching perspective, there's like a timeout in that, like you don't want to serve content longer than 24 hours or something like that because lead to very few confusions in that. Um, but that's generally the idea of revalidate by stale. Um, that if you still have a version and as long as you have many visitors, it doesn't really matter if someone gets the new cached version 10 seconds faster than someone else, uh, everyone will still have a fast experience while um, the um, the server in the background is happily reproducing, recreating the website and is then giving out the new information. And this is basically the idea of, of 
putting um, so as uh, for those familiar with more the CDN terms, etc., you can also think of a service worker as your own personal CDN is in the browser of the user. It actually cloud first supports service workers on the cloud, so it's kind of funny they kind of took this uh, this approach and put it back in the CDN, so it's even more connected now. Um, but yeah, that's how you can think about it. You have your own CDN basically as a layer within the user's browser, and you can do whatever you want there. You yeah. said IndexedDB, so this is some kind of database technology. I assume it's not like Oracle embedded in your browser. Is this, you know, is this a SQL database? Uh, how do you query it? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, IndexedDB is an object storage. It is basically um, an evolved version of LevelDB that uh, Google developed um, just for um, not really a, a database that you start on your own, but a database that is embedded in your application. And in this case, it is embedded into the browser. And each website has access to uh, one IndexedDB database, and it can query um, it has limited query functionality. It is not as powerful as SQL, but it is very fast and you can implement basically anything with it. And yeah, and in the service worker uses IndexedDB uh, in the background to store the website. So it has a context to store websites or resources, basically anything. And um, it can access this database to um, retrieve um, other content and serve it to the to the client. When we did our WebRTC webinar, uh, you know, tag team talk last week, uh, you talked about end-to-end -end encryption and how with WebRTC it's encrypted by default. Um, it, it sounds like you know with IndexedDB I can't access databases for other sites. Uh, how is that information stored on my local computer though? Is it encrypted uh, by default? Can it be encrypted? What kind of security mechanisms are in place for that? Honestly, I don't know. I think um, on your local computer, um, probably everyone can read it who has access to your account. Um, so it is protected by your um, uh, operations system, um, whatever encryption mechanism you use, or if you use any. Um, but aside from that, of course, the browser doesn't encrypt the database. Um, of course, you could, if you want, um, create your own encryption mechanism. Uh, there are examples for that. Um, for example, some uh, password managers use IndexedDB to store the passwords and uh, make them available while offline, but you need a key to process that. And IndexedDB is really a in really interesting technology because you can even store um, keys like um, SS, um, RSH keys um, in a very secure manner so that your application can't access the content of the key and can't send the key to other people, but you can store the key um, so you can have access it and decrypt things. So there, like, there's a lot of thought put, put into this and I am not an expert on that. But um, I can certainly say that you can implement secure applications with it. Wonderful. And one of the things that I think uh, is, is really important to stress for uh, our audience today is that um, not only are we talking about offline 
uh, first applications as being something where uh, uh, you have access to all of this data offline. It also improves the end user performance um, because you're constantly fetching from the cache. And I think that's just a very important thing to call out for um, the audience who might be less familiar with how uh, uh, this can enable that really quick time to first paint as well in the browser. Um, so let's, let's move a little bit to topics that we know about, um, that we really, really play with on a daily basis, um, like YJS. Um, as I understand that YJS uh, is a topic we've covered uh, many times on this, on, on, this, uh, on this series, and it's a real-time collaboration framework that's open source. How does it support offline editing? Yeah, so yeah, the idea is just store the document offline, right? Um, and there's even more, um, there's a lot of interesting things with um, IndexedDB and YJS because, um, well, to start again, uh, I created recently the YIndexedDB adapter uh, for YJS, which enables you to store um, your document in the local IndexedDB database, but also store document updates very efficiently so um, you can re retrieve it very fast and also handles the case of concurrency when you have multiple pages open that access the same database. They can all access the same database, retrieve the information, share the content through the database, which is really interesting and something that you want because um, often you want to have, um, often you have different browser tabs open accessing the same content and uh, they need to be able to communicate with each other. So um, this is what why IndexedDB enables you. Um, even while offline, um, your browser tabs can communicate with each other and store document updates. And instead of storing the whole document as a big binary blob every time you make a change, you only um, store small increments of the data to the database. And when you reload your page, it just accesses the IndexedDB database and retrieves the document again. Just to give a very practical example, assume you have 3,500 tabs open um, in a browser and you've worked a lot with your CMS and you do things and you um, edit content and then you go away and um, have a nice day outside and you come back and you continue working and you totally forgot that you had this article open in your Drupal CMS. And um, then you go back to your CMS, log in, edit the content and it's all there. Everything you've changed already on the content is all there automatically. You don't need to do anything. And even if you now change it here and save it, and then you go back to your basically your other draft in that then automatically it has all changed there already. You already see all your changes there and that and that you already saved it, etc. So um, um, even if you forget kinda you don't have conflicts, you don't have things to oh how did I do this? I need to reproduce this here, etc. And even even in another case, um, assume you would have had this for like Drupal org issues. You're working on a few issues, writing long text, etc. Computer crashes, browser crashes, power goes off, whatever happens, all is lost in that you haven't submitted yet and you've worked one freaking hour on it. Um, if you had attached this to a Y instance with Y, um, y index DB, it's all there. 
you just come back, you can continue working like like you never had been been away in that. So um, it can also help save data in that, um, that you never lose any any content in that, and that's very very great in that because it's a it's problem. I mean, we have autosave and Drupal, for example, as a module which frequently saves, like obviously not many things, but it saves to a server. But what happens when you're offline? You you can't save in that. And obviously, we also have some where we try to put it in, in like local storage in that, and that works a little bit, but it doesn't really um, help with the cases of you make up this other tab of the same content, etc. And it's really nice that this with YJS can just work, just works. Right. And there's another use case. Um, you talked about the um, crashing of your local browser or like losing your internet connection. Uh, just imagine you go in a plane and, oh man, I need to have this tab open now until I can sync the content to the server. Now what you can do is, um, because service workers also have in access to your IndexedDB database, as soon as you have access to the internet again, it can, it, the browser will start your service worker even when your website isn't open. And um, you can sync the content to your server and persist it as so other applications can also see what you created. Um, so what this really allows you is to create offline first applications uh, that gracefully sync, but also enable you to uh, progressively enhance your application because now your content will be available immediately after you open the website. In the case of a Drupal document that is collaboratively edited, um, like um, you um, start your CMS and you immediately see the content popping up because it, is, it doesn't need to wait for the server it will serve it from a local database. And also the amount of data that needs to be synced is reduced because YJS already supports um, differential synchronization. So um, instead of exchanging the whole document, it will only exchange the parts that changed. So the server will send you a small update of the content that was created by other users and you will send to the server the content that you created so um, in that regard, um, IndexedDB, why IndexedDB is a really nice enhancement to your application, regardless if you want to use, uh, create an offline application, it is just there to improve your, uh, the performance of your web application. So YJS is basically perfect for James Bond. Like, like in this scenario, they, um, they need to send some very important information they have to that, but there's no internet in that. But they know this, track will eventually have internet even if James Bond has, has gone, gone off the rails already because but this, this laptop is still there but as soon as it gains back the internet content it will sync the data and then all is safe. All right awesome example YGS is for James Bond let's keep it at that. <laughs> I think we can all agree that uh, some of these uh, features are very much secret agent features and very futuristic. Um, so uh, we've talked a little bit about why IndexedDB um, in terms of that uh, adapter for YJS. Um, how does this exactly tie to web workers though? I mean, um, it is not really tied to it. It does work in conjunction with uh, service workers. Um, so- oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, no- Maybe, no. We, should cut that, maybe we should cut that question out. <laughs> 
an awesome question because um, they're also web workers, which is a completely different thing. And um, okay. so service worker is a job that sits in the background and intercepts your um, HTTP requests. But um, web workers are just background jobs that you can start, um, for example, to do heavy calculations. And with IndexedDB and web workers, um, actually accidentally, this is an awesome question, you can do really awesome things. Um, for example, if you want to do some heavy calculations on your YJS document, you can start a web worker that fetches the YJS document um, from the IndexedDB database and then does these calculations, maybe do a very expensive sync job with the server or, I don't know, um, for example, you want to render an HTML page based on the um, data that is in the YJS document and then send it back to the main thread. So um, web workers allow you to do heavy calculations and IndexedDB allows you to exchange data with service workers or the web worker um, very efficiently, basically with all the browser contexts because um, IndexedDB is shared between all the browser contexts. It's basically the ideal um, database um, that multiple processes can access concurrently and um, they can use it to do different things. For example, the service worker might want to create a web circuit connection to the server to um, sync the data um, or even use a different technology to sync the data to um, persist it in the web and the cloud wherever. And the main thread, your website, um, doesn't really need to do that much and it doesn't need to be open to sync the content. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very important thing. Um, so um, the thing how web workers um, fall into this is that synchronization, especially if you have lots of changes on the server, lots of changes on your local, they all need to be synced conflict-free, which YJS can do, it still takes a while. And the thing is, um, as a user, you don't want to wait for the while, so you don't want to have like a spinning circle. Syncing data, you can start working in 10 minutes, you can start working in nine minutes, you can start working in eight minutes. Hopefully it doesn't take that long, but anyway, you get the idea. Uh, so if you put all of that into web worker, then you can already start working on your document. You can see live changes that are already happening in that, um, that have been synced and um, uh, that all happens in the background. So basically a web worker gives you a different thread than the main thread where all the interactions the user happens. So a web worker is basically for not blocking the user interaction, which is very, very important because as we speak about real time and all of that, uh, one of the most important things here is the responsibility, um, uh, the responsiveness. <laughs> Uh, responsiveness that means um, that uh, the user really gets feedback really fast on every keystroke so it's not like I click a key then it gets sent to the server the server says yes you can write that key and send it back and then I can click the next key in that because that's uh, even so how um, if you try um, some of the other technologies like Google Docs and others uh, over a low latency connection, it can happen in that. Uh, I had this happen in, in one of my um, tests that I did originally when I was comparing YJS with Google Docs. But suddenly I had a very, very, very slow Google Docs where I was clicking a key and it took like 
I don't know, I think it took three or four seconds until that keystroke was registered. And I clicked the next key and was like, duh, 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 duh. so in that regard, um, web workers, IndexedDB service workers, they play like a perfect triangle of, of things that are now available for us to build great offline apps. You just gave me flashbacks, Fabian, to writing a, an email in Gmail. <laughs> and you try and send it when you're offline and it gives you an error or when I want to check my mail and it's like, we're going to retry in five, four, you know? Um, so could YJS enable uh, Gmail to work offline? Like I could write my emails, store them for submitting later when I'm back online? I mean, I think uh, you can do that without YJS, but as soon as you have a collaborative document, you need something like YJS because so much can happen while offline and other clients can edit the document. So you basically need a very uh, involved synchronization framework. In the case of Google Docs document, I also remember that. I remember all the forms that I lost because um, my post request wasn't performed on the server because the server is unavailable or whatever. And I get a 404 and all the content that I created is lost. Now with service workers, what you can do is, instead of losing that content, the service worker will store the document, uh, the request offline, send it later, as soon as you have internet access. And the same goes for YGS documents, for collaborative documents, for, for your React app. Uh, you can share state with YGS, basically anything for your drawing app. Just store it in IndexedDB and let the service worker um, figure out when to sync the content to the server. And basically that brings us to a very, very, very important point because um, with YJS uh, technology, we are changing from a traditional client-server model to one of synchronization. And that is very, 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 very key in all of this. And I'll explain why. Um, the reason why this is so key is um, that as Kevin said, usually when we have a traditional application built with React or whatever, you are doing state changes and those state changes eventually go to the server and that's usually done with the post. And um, if that fails, okay, the application can try again, etc. But imagine that you would need to not need to deal with any of that. You would just use like the YJS primitives, like a Y array. You would store that in, and you would now eventually it will send to a server when there's connection, when there's everything in that. And that's a different way to think about data. It's no longer I have this data, I store it to the server, and I get my new state back from the server. But it's just I put my data in here and it's synchronized automatically. And there's a completely different way of thinking about applications, of thinking about data, how it gets in, how it gets out, etc. And that's why um, offline first uh, with YJS is so key. And here not YJS as a text collaboration tool, but as a tool that's built up on data types so that you can have a collaborative to-do list basically just by having a data structure that's collaborative. As soon as you put an item in there, it gets sent to the server, it gets sent to the other users that are collaborating on the to-do list automatically. And um, this is in its own way, a kind of revolution. Well put. Absolutely. Um, I think that uh, uh, the use cases that this enables will 
really reinvent uh, the way that we interact with um, probably the vast majority of the applications we use that involve some level of collaboration um, really, really easily. I mean, I can just think of, of so many ways in which, for example, scheduling collaboratively could become easier um, with this kind of model. Uh, very, very exciting. And um, so last time we got together as a group, uh, we talked a little bit about this new communication protocol that uh, allows for browser-based communication called WebRTC. Um, and for those of you who are in the audience who are, who are uh, watching this or listening to this, uh, do check out our WebRTC webinar, web, the Why WebRTC webinar uh, episode, because that goes into a whole lot of detail about some of the really interesting features coming out because of that. Um, so one question I had for you, um, uh, one question I had for you, Kevin, was how does this work in conjunction with Why WebRTC? Um, and what sorts of ways can we combine these uh, really interesting technologies together? Yeah, uh, that's an awesome question. Um, I think the only downside of YWebRTC, um, which allows you to basically, without a server, um, create a peer-to-peer -peer network between all the clients that are interested in the same document. And the only downside of this is that it takes some time to create a connection to the other peers. And it takes some time to synchronize because uh, WebRTC, um, it, as soon as a connection is established, it is very fast. But creating connection, um, like establishing that connection, sometimes takes a while, especially on um, bad internet connections. So, um, and this fits together with why um, IndexedDB, because it allows you to store the document offline and serve it immediately without waiting for the other peers. And um, it also allows you to do some very interesting things. Just imagine our um, video chat application right now. There are a lot of WebRTC-based um, um, chat applications on the web, for the web that are accessible for everyone. Um, some of them allow you to, to collaborate on, on documents. Actually, I only know of one. And um, so with IndexedDB, now you can store the document on offline. So the next time you open this, um, this chat room that you created for collaborating, for chatting, um, it is still there. And you don't need a server for this because um, it is persisted locally and among all the other clients. And you can even sync with them, um, as we discussed, even if they don't have a um, if, if they don't have the website open because there are background jobs that can do that. Um, so this allows for a lot of interesting technology, especially uh, with YWebRTC. Um, I think it is necessary to have faster access to the document. Um, and how you can do that is now YIndexDB. Very interesting. Let's talk a little bit about um, uh, some of the kind of uh, byproducts of all of this. Um, how does this not result in, in an overload of garbage? Um, you know, I think that this is a very important topic for uh, when it comes to performance and scalability. Right. I, I mean, um, there's, there are two aspects here. Um, the first one is how can you actually resolve all these conflicts? And um, yeah, I, I think we got, we made a deep dive. I think the the second deep dive, we go into detail how the conflict resolution um, actually figures out this stuff. 
we didn't figure out that, uh, we didn't explain it in full detail or prove it, but there's a paper, uh, just go to the YJS GitHub repository on the bottom, there's an explanation on how the conflicts are resolved. And here, very important is um, YJS was always an, um, a framework that does not need a server connection. It is uh, network agnostic and doesn't need a unique order of the messages that are sent. Um, it basically only listens to document updates. So it can always sync as soon as your local document gets all the updates from the other peers, it is synced. Um, there's no central instance that manages um, how your conflicts are resolved. This is all decentralized. And yeah. And, um, just to remind our audience a little bit about uh, what we talked last time is that um, when we have WebRTC, we can have also partition. That means we are cross connected across the ocean. Michael in New York, Kevin and me here in Europe connection gets severed, there's no connection anymore between us. And that's basically, we are, at least from the relative standpoint out of each other, offline. And so um, that's why basically YJS already handles the offline case, it must. Every peer-to-peer -peer application um, that is, is working in a way that it can soon changes after a connection is re-established is basically offline in a way. And um, this just takes us further um, that if we all close our connections down, the document is not lost <laughs> because every one of us even has a copy of it in that. So um, um, let's say we are working on this document across the ocean and the network cable goes down and we are all so frustrated, we all close our browsers. So and now we start it up again, then no one would have a copy anymore. No one would have the changes anymore in that. But if, if I have my own copy and Kevin has his own copy and Michael has his own copy, then it can all sync up again as soon as, hey, network's back. Okay, let's fire it up again and then um, it will automatically sync. So um, really um, um, this why IndexedDB is just um, like it, it complements um, the YA WebRTC approach. It's basically, even in a way for me, myself, a requirement um, that we have not only the capability to sync in real time, which is really nice for video, um, but also to store <laughs> whatever we've worked on. That's right. Yeah, uh, I think that the second part of Preston's uh, question was, um, like, as soon as you sync, uh, there's also garbage that is there. Like, for example, if I created a lot of content, you created a lot of content, there's a lot of garbage, possibly. possibly. Um, how do you actually figure out how to make a proper sync that makes sense to the human? Um, in Git terms, um, yeah, how, like, if there are conflicts, how do you resolve them? If I fixed a typo in the document and Fabian while offline or while not having a connection to me also fixes the same issue. Um, when the documents merge, we might end up with garbage, right? Um, we just discussed this in the prose mirror channel uh, briefly. And uh, one of the arguments against CRDTs is that um, you, well, you don't want to have that garbage. You want to have a central instance that manages and only serves one version 
of the document that makes sense and that was well proven to be correct by a human. And there is something that you can do against that and that's um, YJS versions, um, which allow you to, as soon as you sync with the other clients, you can show the differences that happened um, while others were offline or while you were offline. And then with, by showing the differences between the, um, the changes that just came in, you can figure out, um, okay, Fabian also fixed this issue. Now we have um, a fix two times applied, which doesn't make sense anymore. Um, I, can, I need to revert his change um, or I can just edit his change. And this is basically the same thing that you want to do when you do a Git merge. Um, you just figure out the differences and you um, apply the changes that happen concurrently and in a way that makes sense for the new state of the um, application. So yeah. um, basically what, what YJS can do just in a, in a much more broader term than that is, mm -hmm. but we didn't talk about that, but it's so exciting. It's basically, if you know Drupal, it's revisions. Then you know it. Uh, basically, um, every time we do a change, we have like like a revision, and that's in YJS called a state vector. So we have all the history of all time. So if the universe was built on YJS, then we could roll back to every point in time of the whole universe. This time machine, basically, if you're a Mac fan, uh, where was time machine? You can also go back to every state that your hard disk was ever in, as long as you have space on your backup. Like, Anyway, so um, because we have like all the history of all time in that, um, and in a more practical example, Michael and me are working on a document together. It's important, and uh, he worked offline, and then um, and I worked offline. And then our changes sync, and um, we have two paragraphs that really don't fit together too well in that. And for that, we need someone like Preston, who's an editor, um, editor in chief. Um, who can then uh, untangle the mess, basically. But what happens if it's within the sentences? And it's really, uh, it really gets to garbage. So, and that's where YJS versions come in, basically. Because Michael can see how my changes affected his version, and I can see how his changes affected my version in that. And now the nicest thing about that is, and that's not implemented, but Kevin can probably do it, um, is um, you could also rewrite history. Think about like a Git rebased interactive um, where you're basically rewriting the history. So Michael says, hey, this whole law that Fabian here wrote, um, that's cool, but I don't really need it. So he could go back to basically my version, in theory at least, um, take out that, copy it somewhere else, like stash it um, for later usage in some other document, then delete it. So that I've never made these changes basically. And then it would reapply basically those changes. And that um, basically would allow to, to see that. And um, it, with YJS, this is in theory possible because we have all the changes from everyone. We know what everyone changed, what character they changed. And even if you type like total garbage in that, Michael could just say, hey, this change, let's just take this version for me and this is now, now the version again, and we'll just apply whatever come, came in there manually in that. So there's a lot of possibilities, even without a central server, to do that. And I think that's, um, that's much more important because 
Um, I do think in the end, every Git conflict, who resolves that? It's a human. It's a human. There are no machines doing that because they can't understand that machine learning is there. There's some approaches in that. But in the end, it's a human. And I think it's much more important to give a human the tools to do that. And why as well are such a tool, we can see all of this has changed since you last sent. Uh, and that's our way be available there. It's on the website. You can see it. It's great. It's really fantastic. You can even see how your doc how the document is changing since you've been away in real time. It's, it's really freaking awesome. It's one of the coolest features I've seen in that. And we'll definitely link it in that. Um, but giving the human the tools is, in my opinion, the way. And the nice thing is whenever we can automatically send, we will. But ever we can't, we can still involve a human. And I think that's much more empowering than to say, um, it needs to be a human anyway, so um, uh, we do just a Git-like reconciliation approach. Right, well put. And by the way, uh, this is really available on the yjs.dev website. Just give a quick overview here. Um, yjs.dev now works with WebRTC, so there's no central instance that manages the content. And also um, it has versioning support for the examples or at least for the Prosmere example. So you can click on one of the versions, you can create versions and you can actually see the differences that happened while you were offline. So all of this is actually possible. The only thing that is missing is like create an, a UI for your application to uh, show those differences. So for text documents and for Prosmere, this has uh, almost been solved, basically. But um, I think there are some UI cons uh, things that you need to consider to do that, right? It's mostly an UI thing, but the framework possibilities are all there. They're all open source and they're ready to use right now. Wonderful, and I think um, that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to checking out as soon as we hop off uh, this episode. Um, one of the things I wanted to uh, ask was, are there any other challenges in offline sharing that we haven't already mentioned? Um, what are some of the other sorts of hidden or lesser known sharing use cases that uh, uh, this particular approach around YIndexDB enables? Oh yeah, I think the, um, the trickiest thing about offline editing is um, garbage collection. Um, so um, we talked about versions um, that we want to jump back to previous versions. We want to save versions. And, um, but how does that tie? Um, that, like if we store all the content that was ever created, um, our documents would blow up. Um, in the case of um, my, our, the website, yjs.dev, um, if I would store all the content that all the users that visit this website um, if I would store that um, in the document, the document size would get huge. There are people who copy Wikipedia articles and just put it there like a thousand times and the document can be really large. As soon as you delete content again, the content should be freed. But um, if we have versions, if we store all the content that was ever created, we can never delete that content from the YJS document. And now um, there's a, a, a method that allows you to garbage collect the content that was created in between versions. Um, so this is really cool right now. Um, you go on the website, you create a version, 
the version, the content of that version will never be garbage collected. But if you insert a Wikipedia article or and somebody, somebody else deletes that Wikipedia article again, uh, the content is basically garbage collected and not be stored in the YGIS document. So there's a finely grained granularity that you can have uh, on what content is actually deleted from the content, uh, from the document. Yeah, basically it's something we talked about earlier on of what optimizations YJS made that makes CRDTs feasible. Mm -hmm. And that's one of them. Right. And basically, um, to give another example from the Drupal world, um, here is um, and Drupal 8 now have forward revisions with workspaces. That means an editor can work on, on some article a long, 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 long time. And once they are finally ready to publish it, uh, um, they'll publish uh, this article and then it goes basically live. So, but now that they have like um, 20, 30, whatever, how many revisions in between, it might have been important by writing this article, but are no longer important once the new version of the article is published actually. So basically when that article goes from draft stage to published or uh, they take an existing article, change it again, and it goes back from draft to published in that. So all of those versions, um, uh, at least for example, in the content preview system, the workspace that could be implemented as well, we automatically garbage collect because those are no longer important. So one of the things we found in terms of Drupal, how Drupal do, does things and how um, a tool like FIP or Google Docs does things, it's like, it's very, very important for the user to be able to publish something. <laughs> to um, click on a button and to say, this is a version I want to save. This is something that doesn't need to be auto-saved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is a state I really want to save, the state I want to preserve. This is a state I want to publish and pay um, changing this over to have versions not be every keystroke is like a new version in that. And then you basically compress them a little bit or, um, uh, but really by saying, when I click publish, a new revision is created. Um, this allows this kind of garbage selection to feel much more natural in that. Of course, you can still like hold the backup, like to say, hey, for the old revisions, I still keep them for 30 days, for 90 days, or whatever your data retention policy is. That's a possibility. And that's basically what we're doing uh, for the content preview system in practice. Um, that if an editor says, ah, I've written something, I've published it, but in between I had something, I need that back. Okay, 90 days, you can have it back after what's probably not relevant anymore. Uh, can we hear whatever? It depends also how much data space you're willing to sacrifice because that's basically always the same thing in that um, that it's a trade-off between having all the history and using all the space. <laughs> but if you're really paranoid, you could also take the YJS document, put it on the tape. Tape seems to still be the um, cheapest way to store data right now. So you could do that. I mean, no one would hold you from uh, that Kevin could hoard all the Wikipedia articles that users ever create um, for all of history of uh, how humans interact with YJS dev, um, but maybe not. Um, the main uh, takeaway here is basically um, versioning are not just arbitrary, like every 300 milliseconds or whatever, but they're deliberately created by the user. 
And whenever there's no version created, we can, at least after some point, garbage collect them. And this solves a huge problem of um, data editing in general, even in that. Um, that's overall you want all history, but on the other hand, you don't. <laughs> right. That's a very good illustration of, of that conflict. Um, uh, no pun intended, by the way. Um, I think that um, uh, this, is, this is very interesting. We're running out of time, though. So I wanted to jump to one final question just for uh, our audience who might be considering adopting uh, YJS and YIndexedDB and, and uh, all of these, uh, this incredible suite of technologies. Um, are there any companies already using YIndexedDB for offline editing? Are there any people out there already making use of this in production? Um, so the new implementation of YIndexedDB, which is created for um, version 13, um, it's pretty fresh. I'm not aware of anyone using it um, except the YJS dev website. But for version 12, there was a similar project, YIndexedDB, but for the previous version, which is now pretty old. But um, I know a lot of people who used it just by default because it made their website faster and it didn't really cost anything. Um, it works the same way. It has a different API, and, but now you can do, do more stuff. And yes, there are at least two companies I know who use them. Uh, I'm not sure if I can name them right now, but um, yeah, basically it's just a progressive enhancement and you should always use it if you can. Um, although I want to add, I'm not aware of any offline only or offline first application that uses YJS and YIndexedDB. And this is something that I would be interested in seeing a lot more. Uh, and also I want to add YJS.dev is completely offline first. Um, just visit it while offline. Um, there's no difference in the online and offline version. Wonderful. And for people who want to dig into the code and, and report issues and look at some of the way that, the, that YJS actually works, um, where can they find the source on GitHub? Uh, just go to um, GitHub slash YJS. This is a GitHub organization for YJS. There are lots of repositories. YJS-demos um, should be your go-to resource for figuring out how to create examples, how to use WebRTC, IndexedDB, ProseMirror, like all the things are there. Uh, there's a lot of documentation in the README on YJS slash YJS. And um, yeah, if you're interested in the inner workings, watch our previous webinars. And also there's a paper at the end of the README. Uh, yeah, please come visit us. <laughs> well, I know I'm gonna be telling all my friends as I have been every week that we've been um, able to have you on the show, Kevin, to try out YJS. Um, in fact, I'll probably tell some of my colleagues at work later today that we should be looking at YJS. Um, so uh, with that, unfortunately, we're out of time, uh, but I'm really glad to have shared this time with um, our good friends uh, on the Tag1 Team Talk show today. By the way, we post all of these talks at tag1.com slash tagteamtalks. All the links that we mentioned today, including all of the GitHub links and all of those examples that we mentioned are going to be posted online with the talk. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode of Tag1 Team Talks, we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback about things you want to hear about. Please remember to upvote, subscribe, and share it with your friends and family. And as always, if you have any topics you want to hear about or anything you want to uh, talk about on the show or hear about on the show, 
please write to us at Tag Team Talks at tagoneconsulting.com. And I want to thank Kevin, Michael, and Fabian today, three of my dear good friends uh, on the show. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. I learned a lot. I hope that our audience did. I'm sure our audience did as well. And um, we'll see you next time on Tag One Team Talks. <laughs>